Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Good Monday morning, and it's that time of year again. It is a major storm gaining strength and on a collision course with Florida. It's August 28th. This is today. Taking a tropical storm medallion set to strengthen into a major hurricane as it heads toward Florida. Much of the Gulf Coast now under a state of emergency, bracing for dangerous storm surge, punishing winds, and several inches of rain. Al has the latest track and timeline. In mourning, a Florida community comes together after a deadly shooting that police say was motivated by race. We are not a community of hate. This morning, what we're learning about the three victims and the investigation. Key decisions, major hearings today in two criminal cases against former President Donald Trump, including Georgia, where he's accused of trying to overturn the 2020 election results. We're live with what to expect. Tough to bear. After 23 years in Washington, D.C., the National Zoo's beloved pandas are heading back to China. They're the star of the shows here. What's behind the move and the epic panda party in the works to send them off? Those stories plus Biles dominates. Simone Biles wins her record eighth U.S. gymnastics title overnight, wowing the crowd with her signature move. What it all means for her push toward the 2024 Summer Olympics. Today, Monday, August 28, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cutby, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. And a good Monday morning to you. Welcome to today. Thanks so much for starting your week off with us. Savannah and Hoda are off this morning. So Kristen Welker traveled up from Washington, D.C. to join the party. Good it's, to have you. It is always great to be here. We're heading into the holiday weekend, Labor Day, about a week away. Yes. So a lot of excitement. Quite the weekend if you're a sports mm-hmm. fan. Simone Biles breaking yet another record, becoming the first gymnast to win an eighth U.S. championship, thanks in part to a dazzling floor routine. Her former teammate will join us in studio as we look ahead to her road to the Paris Olympics. But first, we do need to get to our top story this Monday morning. Florida bracing for tropical storm Adalia, expected to strengthen into a major hurricane before making landfall. Mr. Roker tracking the path of that storm. Al, what can we expect over the next few days? Sir? Well, we've got a lot going on. And we remember Hurricane Ian came on shore as a, hurric- a Category 5 hurricane back in September of 2022. We've got two systems out there. Hurricane Franklin, which is a major storm. Tropical Storm Idalia, which is going to be causing some big problems. 125 miles south of western tip of Cuba. 65 mile per hour winds. It's moving north at seven. Right now, we've got tropical storm watches, hurricane watches and warnings stretch or watches stretching from East Point down to Key West hurricane warnings down for the Pinar del del Rio. This system going to be pushing up and becoming a major hurricane, a category three 
by Wednesday early morning. So here's what we're looking at. Rapid intensification, strengthening 35 miles per hour in 24 hours. The Gulf waters running two to four degrees above average. You can see 115 mile per hour winds just offshore to the west, to the west of Tampa makes landfall sometimes Wednesday afternoon as a category one storm and then makes its way out into the ocean, but not before brushing the Carolinas. We've got surge warnings now, surge alerts from East Point all the way down to Naples. That wall of water upwards of six to nine feet between Cedar Key and Tampa, four to seven feet to Sarasota, Manarasota Key all the way down to Naples, two to five feet of storm surge. Plus, we've got severe weather risk tomorrow. Tornadoes very possible, wind gust of 60 miles per hour, and that's going to be a big problem from Gainesville down to almost Fort Myers. And of course, damaging soaking rainfall, intense rainfall rates upwards of 12 inches of rain in northern Florida. We're going to be watching that very closely. And Franklin is off the coast. It's going to be making its way to the west of of, uh, Bermuda and causing rip currents up and down the eastern seaboard. So we've got a lot going on with this tropical season. Lots happening in the weather department. Mr. Roker, we'll come back to you in just a few minutes. Thank you, sir. Now we want to tell you about new details and what police are calling a racially motivated shooting in Jacksonville, Florida. The community coming together to remember the three people who were gunned down at a Dollar General store over the weekend. NBC national correspondent Gabe Gutierrez is in Jacksonville with the very latest on this. Gabe, good morning to you. Chris, and good morning. Police say the shooter purchased the murder weapons legally despite being held for a mental health evaluation years ago. Overnight, President Biden spoke with a local mayor and sheriff here, and the president has noted that the racist rampage happened on the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. I am tired. This morning, a Jacksonville community is grieving the stunning loss of three people shot to death in what police say was a racially motivated attack. FBI is investigating the shooting as a hate crime. Police say the gunman, 21-year-old Ryan Christopher Palmiter, sent racist writings to local law enforcement, the media, even his own parents, expressing his desire to kill black people. Officials releasing video of the gunman in a tactical vest before he opened fire in the parking lot and then inside a Dollar General store Saturday afternoon. He let several people out of the store. Why, I don't know. Some of them were white, but I do believe there was a couple that were that were not. The victims, identified as Angela Carr, Gerald Deshaun Gallion, and 19-year-old store employee Anult Joseph Laguerre Jr., known as AJ. Why does he have to go now? Why so young? Gerald Gallion's family says he worked hard to take care of his four-year-old daughter. All my grandbaby keeps saying is, where's my daddy? And all I can do is grab her because I don't have the words right now. Before the shooting, police say the gunman stopped at nearby Edward Waters University, a historically black institution where a school security officer saw him and called police to report a suspicious person on campus. What he did is totally unacceptable in the state of Florida. At a prayer vigil, Governor Ron DeSantis vowing to provide more security to Florida HBCUs, but facing boos from the crowd. DeSantis has faced backlash over efforts to change black history education in public schools with new curriculum standards, including a controversial provision that some slaves develop skills that could be used for their personal benefit. 
So that is means they develop skills uh, in spite of slavery, not because of slavery. Meanwhile, authorities say the shooter, who took his own life when officers arrived, lived with his parents in this home outside Jacksonville, adding a suicide note was found in his bedroom. An AR-style rifle and a handgun, one covered in hand-drawn swastikas, were recovered at the scene. His sickening ideology is not representative of the values of this Jacksonville community. Police say the gunman had no criminal arrest record, but when he was 15, he was held for 72 hours under Florida's Baker Act for an involuntary mental health evaluation. Kristen. What a devastating and deeply disturbing story. Gabe Gutierrez, thank you very much. It's turned out to what could be a decisive day in court for former President Donald Trump. There are key hearings in two of the criminal cases against him, including in Georgia, where the former president is accused of trying to overturn the 2020 election results. NBC's Blaine Alexander has more on that from Atlanta. Blaine, good morning to you. Well, Craig, good morning to you. That's right. We're talking about two different hearings in two different federal courtrooms today. And former President Donald Trump is right at the center of both of them, including right here in Atlanta, where today's proceedings could decide when and where and how this case moves forward. This morning, all eyes are on a federal courthouse in downtown Atlanta, where, after more than two years of investigating, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis is expected to lay out some of her case against former President Trump and his 18 co-defendants, all charged with trying to overturn Trump's 2020 election loss in Georgia. The defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering Enterprise. Today's hearing centers around Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and his push to move his case to federal court. But the DA has subpoenaed key witnesses, including Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who was on the receiving end of that now infamous phone call from then President Trump. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have. Because we won the state. It comes as a federal judge in Washington is expected to rule regarding a different case against Mr. Trump, preparing to set a trial date in his federal election interference case. Special counsel Jack Smith wants to start in January 2024, but Trump attorneys pushed back, asking for April 2026, well after the presidential election in which Mr. Trump is currently the GOP frontrunner. And in Georgia, the D.A. wants to start in late October, though a judge has not yet signed off. These trial dates also are going to move. It's unrealistic. It's theatrics. All of it comes on the heels of Mr. Trump's historic surrender last week and that mugshot, which is proving to be politically profitable. The Trump campaign reports it's raised more than $7 million since last week's surrender in what the campaign calls its most profitable 24-hour period ever. And as for that push to move the trial to federal court, a former uh, chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and several others have made that request. The former president has not yet done so, though he is expected to follow suit. Now, legal experts say that that could likely mean a more sympathetic judge and a more politically diverse jury pool. Craig. Blaine Alexander, Forrest there in Atlanta. Blaine, thank you.
We now want to get more on these cases from NBC's senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Laura, good morning. Good morning, guys. Nice to see you. Let's start with that federal case in Washington, D.C., on allegations of election interference. What could factor into Judge Chutkin's decision about a trial date? They're asking for trial dates that are nearly two years apart right. here. Right. The two sides are light years apart. Yeah. And I think today we're going to get a little preview, a little insight into the judge's thinking. Obviously, the government is clear. They want this trial to happen before the 2024 election. And so even if they say January, they know it's probably going to get delayed a couple times. And so that at least gives them a goal that allows them a little bit of leeway. But of course, it's in the thick of the primary season. Trump's team says, let's have it happen almost three years from now. I don't think we're going to see the judge sort of split the baby here and do something in the middle. And I think it's largely going to depend on whether she thinks that the former president has said anything in his social media posts that's potentially problematic, where she thinks it's going to change the jury pool and we need to do this fast. So we're going to get a preview of her thinking today for sure. All right, let's go from D.C. to Georgia now. Again, uh, the former president's uh, chief of staff, Mark Meadows, now his yeah. co-defendant. Uh, he's trying to, as Blaine pointed out, trying to get that case moved from state court to federal court. What could be the thinking there? It seems as though, it, it, in part at least, is the thought that you get a larger jury pool okay. if you go into federal court. But the idea that you can just necessarily say, well, a larger jury pool means I win, I think that that's uh, like t- stretching it a little bit too far. The thing to remember that is more interesting, in my perspective, is no cameras in the courtroom uh, federal court, and he might find that advantageous. And it's also interesting to think, why hasn't the former president asked for this case to be removed to federal court? He was a federal officer when it was happening as well. He hasn't asked for that. And I wonder, is it just sort of the dysfunction on the legal team? There was a shakeup at the last minute. Is it some sort of strategy recognizing that the judge in this case might not be favorable? He was appointed by President Obama, whereas the judge in Florida... President Trump appointed that judge. I don't know yeah. the thinking there. We're trying to get some more reporting on it, but it's worth noting former President Trump has not asked for that case to go. Laura, following up on that point, I mean, what are the broader implications yeah. here? If Meadows wins, does that mean that the entire case gets moved to federal court, including former President So Trump's that's what been something we've been looking into, because in the civil context, you do see that sort of one as to one goes to all and they all move down there. But it's mm. not clear in the criminal case that that should happen. It might just be Mark Meadows case goes to federal court. And you also see at the same time, other co-defendants still having their case in Georgia. Some of them actually want a speedy trial in Georgia. So it's just underscores what a sprawling case you have in Georgia, even though this is the mirror image of the election case playing out also in D.C. It's sort of a lot of different cases on the map here to keep track of. Our senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett, helping us keep track of it all. Thank you. Great to see you, Laura. All right. Now to new information on a deadly crash involving a U.S. military aircraft. Three Marines died in the training exercise off the coast of Australia. NBC's Sarah James is live in Melbourne for us this morning. Sarah, good morning to you. What's the very latest on this? Good morning, Kristen and Craig. While that Marine Osprey carrying 23 U.S. Marines crashed on a remote Australian island just one month after four Australian soldiers were lost in a helicopter crash during a separate training exercise between the two nations. This morning, recovery efforts still underway on Melville Island after a deadly U.S. Marine Osprey crash off the coast of mainland Australia. Three U.S. Marines died in the tragic crash in an aircraft similar to this one, which occurred while transporting troops in a routine military exercise. Its cause still under investigation. The Emergency Operations Center will now focus on the recovery of the three deceased Marines with dignity. 
All 20 survivors rushed from the remote location to the city of Darwin, where eight remain in hospital. U.S. Ambassador to Australia Caroline Kennedy praised Australia's swift response and ongoing support. This tragedy and the recent loss that Australia also suffered reminds us all how grateful we are to those who serve in uniform. The crash occurred Sunday off the coast of northern Australia after the aircraft left Darwin and flew towards the Tiwi Islands about 50 miles away. At a time like this, uh, we reach out to our American brothers and sisters in order to express uh, our condolences. Some 2,500 personnel from the U.S., Australia and nearby countries were taking part in training exercises. This is not the first fatal accident involving the Osprey, a tilt-rotor hybrid which can take off and land like a helicopter and fly like a plane. In June last year, five Marines died in an Osprey crash in California. Investigators say a catastrophic mechanical failure the cause. But as the investigation continues, those in Australia's Northern Territory say their first duty is to the survivors. I would just like to reassure the families who are on the other side of the world, that we're caring for your loved ones, they're getting the best care possible. President Biden taking to X, formerly known as Twitter, to say that Jill and I send our deepest condolences to the families of the Marines who lost their lives in this deadly crash. And defense officials here in Australia tell me that the training exercises will resume. However, they will not take place on the island where that investigation is continuing. Kristen? All right. Sarah James, thank you so much for that report. Federal officials are investigating nearly 5,000 pilots suspected of falsifying their medical records to hide conditions that could prevent them from flying. According to The Washington Post, the pilots in question are military veterans who failed to report that they were also collecting benefits for disabilities. Of the pilots under investigation, about 600 are licensed to fly passenger airlines. The FAA has now closed about half of those cases. The agency has ordered about 60 pilots to stop flying while the records are reviewed. Uh, let us now at 719 get that full forecast from Mr. Roker. How are we looking now? Well, so far, things not looking great here along the eastern seaboard. We've got uh, some sunshine, but some showers also moving into the northeast. We're also looking at rainy, stormy conditions. That's ahead of Adalia coming on in. Summer sunshine, though, in the midsection of the country. The heat's going to start ramping up out west and some monsoonal moisture through the southwest for today into tomorrow. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Mr. Stroker coming up. Simone Biles does it again. Our Emily Aketa is here with more on her latest record-breaking performance. Hey, Emily. Hey there. Well, Simone Biles wears the words, but still I rise on her leotard. And let me tell you, this weekend, she did rise to a record eight national all-around titles. Coming up, a look at her historic comeback. She sure did rise. And then later, some beloved D.C. residents are leaving town. The National Zoo Pandas will go live to Washington with what's behind the move. But first, this is Today on NBC. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. 
Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are back at 7.30. It's Monday, August 28th, and you're looking live at the Smithsonian National Zoo's famous panda camp. Oh, look, we're zooming in live, too. That's delightful. Impressive. Uh, Folks, (laughs) enjoy this while you can. Binge watch those pandas, because in a matter of months, the pandas are going back to China. We're going to go live to Washington with more on that move. We'll explain why it's happening. A lot of folks very upset. Jacob Sobroff joins the party now. Here for the pandas, guys. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like he's taking in his surroundings before he has to leave. Are you, it? You've seen those pandas I've up close. I've seen those pandas. They are just adorable. Yeah. We took Margot to the zoo. They're just adorable. Uh, jealous. Uh, we'll Lots to get to on this Monday morning, including mm. that historic performance from over the weekend. Oh, man, it was amazing. Simone yeah. Biles showed us yet again why she is the GOAT of gymnastics, winning her record eighth U.S. championship. We are going to talk with her former teammate, Lori Hernandez, in just a moment. But first, NBC's Emily Ketta has more on Biles' incredible return to the mat. Emily, good morning. Good morning to you guys. Like so many fans, I was watching every second. And you would never know, Biles only recently returned from a two-year break from competition. She looks better than ever and wowed judges with a nearly perfect routine in every event. And with the Paris Olympics now less than a year away, it seems this is only the beginning of her historic comeback. The greatest of all time landing another all-around crown, and this one's for the record books. The crowd roaring their approval with a standing ovation for Simone Biles, who clinched her eighth win at the U.S. Championships in San Jose, California this weekend, smashing a record first set in the 1930s. It's really amazing. Everybody in here uh, believes in me and my teammates believe in me, my coaches, my family, everyone. So I just need to start believing in myself a little bit more. She's the only woman to ever nail the incredibly difficult Yurchenko double pike vault in competition. And she did it just about flawlessly, leaving no doubts in fans and judges' minds. Biles is back. She stayed locked in through the second day of competition Sunday. And no sign remaining of the twisties that overcame Biles at the Tokyo Olympics, causing her to withdraw from most of her events. i to do something that I've done forever and just not be able to do it because of everything I've gone through is really crazy. The 26-year-old powerhouse has been chasing this dream almost all her life, here winning the world championships in 2013. It hasn't really sunken in yet, but I know what I've done is a big accomplishment. Now, a decade later, she's earned a jaw-dropping seven Olympic and 25 world championship medals, with the competition feeling fiercer than ever. 
The field of phenoms are battling for just five spots at the World Championships in Antwerp next month, and then the 2024 Olympics in Paris. A standout performance from Shailise Jones, the World 2022 silver medalist, earned her second place behind Biles. And fellow world medalist 19-year-old Liam Wong took home third. But for now, Simone Biles remains in a league of her own. Oh, and by the way, at 26, Simone Biles is also the oldest woman to win nationals, and I think we all can agree she has more than enough gas left in the tank for the World Championships next month in Belgium and the Paris Olympics next year, too. Guys, yeah, just incredible. Emily, thank you so much. And joining us now is someone who certainly understands the pressures these athletes faced over the weekend. Two-time Olympic medalist and NBC Sports Gymnastics analyst Lori Hernandez is here to break down everything we saw during the U.S. Gymnastics Championship. So great to see you. Hey, Thank Morning. you for Morning. being here. So take us inside that arena last night. You were there. Yeah. Simone Biles got a standing ovation, which is basically unheard of in gymnastics competition. What was it like? What was it like to be in the room? Yeah, I mean, the room was just electric. I think post-COVID, being able to have so many people in the audience watching athletes like Simone Biles go out and compete and do their best, I personally have never seen anything like it. And also there were signs in the crowd, not only that were saying, you know, go Simone, but a lot of them said, thank you, Simone, mm-hmm. acknowledging everything that she's done yeah. before. And even just the comeback, her acknowledgement of mental health. It's really awesome what she's doing. Let's talk about the comeback, Lori, because I, yeah. I think what, what gets lost in, in some of this discussion is she took two years off. She sure did. I mean, it's like when Jordan like went to play ba- baseball and came back and won three championships. <laughs> she takes two years off. She comes back, eighth title. What were those two years like? Any idea? Was she practicing? Like, what was she doing during that time off? Oh, I don't want to speculate, but I do know that in interviews that she's done, she has mentioned that she's taken the time to acknowledge her mental health after Tokyo. Experiencing the twisties was something that I think really rattled her. And as Mm -hmm. an athlete, a gymnast who has experienced the twisties, that is not only threatening to the brain, but it's a safety hazard. So to have to go back, go into therapy once a week and talk about how that has affected her performance, I think she took that time for herself. She's a really grounded competitor right now. I don't think we've seen Simone in a way like this. Lori, you know that each and every one of us are counting the days to the Paris Olympics. It's just about exactly (laughs) a, a year away. There's five spots, correct me if I'm wrong, on the team. How did these wins set her up for Paris 2024? Yeah, I mean, the year before the Olympic Games, it's all about consistency. Who can hit the routines when the pressure is on and when the time counts? And Simone Biles has proven that she can do just that. So between this year's nationals, we have world championships coming up. These two competitions are really going to set the tone for the athletes we're going to be seeing next year. So they're important. Oh, they sure are. Lori, really quickly, who are the newcomers you're watching for as we head into the Olympics? Ooh, so we have a lot of familiar faces that we saw at this competition, but two ones that are not so familiar, Shiley Jones and mm-hmm. Jocelyn Robertson. Those are two that I think we need to keep an eye out for, especially with Shy Jones. She came in second in this competition, and third place was a couple points of a margin. So that's that's a really big yeah. deal. She that's the margin that Simone does yeah. for yeah. second place. So but, we should keep an eye out on that. So what I'm hearing, though, is basically that the golden age of Team USA gymnastics is going to continue. I think so. Okay. <laughs> I like that prediction. Uh, Lori, thank you so thank much. You. Lori's going to be back in the third hour as awesome well with a little bit you. more. We'll see you then, Lori. And guys, coming up, a heated discussion. A brand new study shares the ideal bedroom temperature. We've all been talking about this for sleeping. It turns out <laughs> it actually changes as we age. We're going to break all of that down. Plus, a monumental move. One of the most popular attractions in Washington, D.C., as we've been talking about 
soon going to be leaving when the famed giant pandas are heading home. That is right after this. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you ever needed to be persuaded that bad things can happen anywhere, then take a journey with us. From compelling mysteries to in-depth investigations, our Dateline episodes are available as podcasts. Follow Dateline NBC now to get new episodes every Tuesday. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Great storytelling with a twist from the true crime original. Back now with In-Depth Today, and we are talking about a major move for one of Washington, D.C.'s most popular and beloved attractions. Yeah, you just took your daughter to see him. Uh, We're talking about the giant pandas, folks. The giant pandas at the National Zoo. They are returning home to China after 23 years here in the United States. NBC's Ryan Nobles is at the Smithsonian's National Zoo in the nation's capital with more. What? What, Ryan? The pandas are going home? (laughs) Say it ain't so. Uh, I know. My kids are huge fans of the pandas as well, Craig. And, you know, for more than 50 years, these giant pandas have delighted zoogoers here in the nation's capital. But now the two adult pandas and their cub that live here now are scheduled to return to China at the end of the year. And the future of giant pandas in the United States is very much in doubt. They are among the biggest stars in the nation's capital. I'm excited to see the panda. And their time in Washington is coming to an end. I want them to stay. Tian and Mei Shang are giant pandas who call the Smithsonian National Zoo home. Tian Tian celebrated his 26th birthday on Sunday. Two rare giant pandas are coming to America. They came to Washington, D.C. in 2000 as part of a conservation and breeding partnership with China. The original agreement was for 10 years, but was extended several times. During that more than two-decade run, the duo gave birth to a son, Shuao Qi Ji, whose arrival was documented with a live panda cam that drew in millions of viewers. The panda cam's round-the-clock feed has caught the pandas climbing trees, fighting over food, playing in the water, and of course, sliding down a snow-covered hill. Those three pandas currently in Washington, the extension of a partnership that started more than 50 years ago. Two Chinese pandas offered to the United States during the president's Chinese visit will go to the National Zoo. For people visiting D.C., seeing the pandas is a must. They're the star of the shows here. And, I mean, they're, they're a staple. They're, you know, I think of the Smithsonian Zoo, I think of the pandas. But they're more than just a tourist attraction. 
There's been no greater ambassador to getting people to love animals, love nature, love conservation than the giant panda. The giant pandas raise millions of dollars and their popularity opens the door to teach others the value of conservation efforts. You see a panda and you feel like you can be attached to them. The decision to bring the pandas back to China comes against the backdrop of increased political tensions between the U.S. and China. The Smithsonian is hoping a new partnership can be forged. It's no secret that there's some tensions between the two governments right now. I just hope that doesn't play into this because conservation should be apolitical. Here, here. Uh, Ryan, again, as we take a live look here at, at the pandas uh, for a quick second. There, oh, we don't know which one that is, but that's one of them. Um, <laughs> once, once the pandas do leave D.C., anywhere else you can see them in the States, Ryan? There is one other zoo in the United States uh, that currently has pandas, Craig, and that is the Atlanta Zoo. But the situation there is also very much in doubt. Their pandas are actually scheduled to travel back to visit China at the beginning of 2024. And the partnership with the Atlanta Zoo only runs through the end of 2024, although they are working to try and extend that partnership. Meanwhile, here in Washington, D.C., the pandas are going to be sent off in style. The Smithsonian National Zoo planning what they're calling a panda palooza. That's going to start at the end of September and run through the beginning of October. Kristen, we should all go together, grab all of our kids and, and, and head to the zoo to see these pandas before they take off. Ryan, panda I'm on board with that. Let, let's get a date in the books. That panda's having a panda palooza right now down yeah. there He's in this bamboo. And we should say Ryan's covering the pandas. It's a little bit of a rite of passage when you are a D.C. correspondent. I had my moment with That's the pandas true. as well oh! in There you have it. I believe that was Chen Chen. Eating, having a nice little snack while I did my live shot. She does it all, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. It One of the real. most wonderful live shots I've ever that's, done. That's that's what we call range in the business. That's, yeah, From panda you. correspondent to, to moderator of Meet the Press. I was going to say, it'll be the first guest on the, that's right. Meet the that's Press right. with Kristen Walker. Sunday. We're talking about pandas. All right. Well, one person who's not going anywhere is Al. Al, you are here with another check of the forecast. You know, panda eat on average about 85 pounds of bamboo a day. Wow. That's right. And you know what? To eat that bamboo, it's got a bite pressure of almost 300 pounds, making it number three among prey for bite pressure. Wow. I mean, only only beaten by the lion. How's yeah. that for Thank you, Al. Not to outdo you, Kristen, but I covered the pandas when I worked in Washington, D.C. in 1976. We got to pull so, up wow. that live shot. <laughs> so, that live shot's coming up next. <laughs> no, that, that was on film. Actually, it was, it was courtroom sketching. They didn't have video. <laughs> anyway, 37 million people under heat advisories. The good news is all that heat has shrunk from the southwest also through the, the Gulf Coast into Florida. So closer to average temperatures today. Tallahassee, only four degrees above average at 96. Miami, three degrees warmer. But look at Indianapolis. You're a little below average at 82. New York City, 78 degrees. We move into tomorrow. And again, temperatures below average for Washington, D.C. So the panda's feeling comfortable. 90 in Little Rock. 90s down as you get into the southeast, but still not that 10 to 20 degrees above average. Late week, we got a touch of fall. New York City in the mid-70s, mid-70s in Raleigh, uh, mid-80s in Nashville. But take a look. Next week, the heat returns to Chicago, Denver, Minneapolis, Houston, on into Nashville and El Paso. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, Mr. Roker, thank you. Coming up, a snapshot of a moment in history 60 years ago today. A young girl, front and center for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, 
We're going to meet her and hear the story behind that iconic photo right there. I can't wait for that. Jacob, you've got Popstar coming uh, It's going to be a good one. we got some royal revelations. Ooh. The producers are now saying about the final season of The Crown. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.